0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. But first, we have on the show a film TV exec who I first met while he worked at Crystal Sky Entertainment back in 2000 or 2001, and he has since distributed, financed, marketed, and or produced over 100 films today. He went on to head Crystal Sky's genre division, Renegade Worldwide, before partnering with Chaked Berenson and forming Epic Pictures in 2007. Epic's most recent slate includes such films as the 2014 Saturn Award winner and South by Southwest Film Festival Audience Award nominee Big Ass Spider, Zombievers, which screened at numerous film festivals, including Tribeca and Seattle International Film Festival, and the recently announced comedy Entertainment, starring Michael Sarah and John C. Riley, co produced by Jack Black. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Mr. Patrick Ewald. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you very much, Kevin. Yeah, it's great. We haven't talked in a while, so it's, it's awesome to have you on the show i think it's i think it is important because
1: we we were we were reconnecting a little bit earlier, but uh, i think it is kind of it's kind of important for people to to or at least in my mind it's important but it's probably not important to anybody else <laughs> but um that uh you know we um um uh, i don't know how much you talk about your, your past or whatever but uh i think we met in was it, it was in two thousand or ninety nine you said yeah,
0: 2000. Like 2000, i think and you
1: were you were working for marty marty Bound, right uh-huh. at c a a at CA, mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know if, do a lot of people know about Marty Baum or not, but, um, I think it's kind of, it's kind of, it was a very interesting uh, experience because Marty was sort of the elder statesman of creative artists agency. And, mm-hmm. uh, he, he handled a lot of really, uh, really kind of just, just amazing, uh, talent that had sort of, you know, for old school Hollywood talent and, um, the former head of my company and Marty were, I think pretty close, but, um, you, 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 um, we were working for a real legend in the business and I'm sure it was an incredible experience. And, um, unfortunately I guess he passed in 2010, but, um, right. at the time, I think at the time I was actually, I don't know if I was actually working for crystal sky. I think I was working for John Boyd, the actor who's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from midnight cowboy and stuff like that. And, um, I'm rambling at this point, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, he's now on the Ray Donovan show on showtime and, uh, right. he's just an amazing actor, but, um, But I don't I uh, I just thought it was it's funny. It's just like, you know, I guess it's 14 years later and here we are. But uh, it's just it shows the importance of I think just, um, you know, when you when you're in the business and meeting people and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's uh, there are those opportunities to reconnect and things like that. So it's it's sort of uh, relationships and building those relationships and maintaining those relationships. It's a really critical part of uh, the entertainment business, I think, you know.
0: Absolutely. And being a decent person doesn't hurt. And, uh, you know, I remember you as being just a really nice guy. So, uh, yeah, that, to me. Well, I, and
1: I remember you being a really nice guy. So uh, <laughs> give you a, a, let's have a big hug over the phone
0: here. Awesome. We had a, a <laughs> virtual hug right now. Well, we always like to start off the show. Um, and I know, again, from 2000 on, you know, we talked about your background um, while you were working for John Boyd, who was one of Marty's clients. Um, but let's talk a little bit about before that. What inspired you to want to work in Hollywood in the film business? Um, you know, you studied, I know you studied film at Duke, um, but how did you decide you wanted to work in film and how did you first get your start in the business?
1: That is a really interesting question, at least to me, because, you know, it's, it's something I think about a lot, um, because you, I think when you, when, after you've been, you've been working, you know, obviously people starting out, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of very, very different perspective, but. You know, after I've been, you know, I've been doing this for 15 or 20 years now, and and you kind of look back and you think, wow, it's like, how how did I start, and like, you know, how did this path get me here in the entertainment business? Because nobody in my family was in the entertainment business; um, it was not really considered a, a career option. You know, from from where I came from, I grew up in New York City. Um, everybody was, you know, becoming, you know, getting professional degrees, or, you know, becoming doctors or lawyers or going into, you know, finance or sort of the sort of the, the things that I think. Um, looking back on, I think I just, I, just the idea of doing any of those things was just, um, I just couldn't imagine doing those things. But at the same time, I, you know, when I was in, even in college, I didn't even think about the the possibility of working in the entertainment business. So I was leaning toward when I was in college, I was leaning towards going into journalism. Um, you know, my my um, early you know, job, uh, I did a lot of summer jobs, and I was working in sort of time. At the time, it was called Time Life, and um, you know, I was working for Money Magazine and People Magazine, and um, I think I worked for Time Magazine briefly, and um, you know, I, I, that was the direction I was going to go. And then um, in my junior year of college, I decided, all right, I'm just going to be a lawyer. I, 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 you know, I just, it just seems to be the right fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I went through the LSAT process and did that whole thing. And at one point, I don't remember what stopped me, but at one point I just stopped completely. And I thought, "I I can't, I cannot, I can't do this. I can't go to law school until I do something that I really at least want to do. And I thought, what, what is the one thing that I just get really excited about? And, um, you know, other than, um, you know, on a personal level, but on a professional level, like what's the one thing that gets me excited? And I thought, I, I love movies. I just, I'm obsessed with movies. I just, I'm just, have all this information about films in my head. And I'm always doing research on films and always excited about going to see movies. And I'm really excited about independent cinema and about what the, what directors are working on and what their visions are, and you know, how they tell stories. And I, at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to take one year, one year of my life after college and I'm going to, I'm just going to try the film business. I'm just going to, I don't care what it is. I don't have, I don't, if I have to go, you know, uh, work for somebody and, you know, get them lunch or, you know, make them, you know, uh, food smoothies, whatever it is, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And and if I hate it, then, you know, I realize that I'm going to hate it and I'm going to become a lawyer mm-hmm. and, um, And uh, so I then, at that point, I didn't really know anybody in the film business. I just started to ask everybody I knew friends, family, people that I was going to school with, people from high school, um, everybody I knew. And eventually, you know, um, I got a job um, as an assistant to um, a director, or actually a, a first time director who was in New York. And I was just like, this, I just love this. We can, I can sit around, I can talk story, I can make movies, you know. Um, you know, we can develop ideas. We can be in production, and and after that, it was just like, I, there was just no turning back. I was like, like even if even if I'm not making any money, I'm going to do this. You know? Right. Does that answer the question? I don't even remember what the, what the no. part. <laughs> yeah, I
0: did. Um, no, I was just asking about what inspired you to start to want to work in film. Oh. It, and how you oh yeah, I'm started. sorry.
1: So 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 okay. So so it, it, it operated on two levels. I, mm-hmm. And I w- really wish I could remember the the moment of inspiration. But I think what inspired me was the realization that I I if I was going to be doing something for the rest of my adult life, I had to be doing something that I wanted to do, and not what I thought other people expected me to do, or what I thought I should be doing. Right. So and I don't remember that 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 epiphany that happened. You know, but but I, I just thought. Um, at, at a certain point, I, I let go of the idea of, you know, this idea that I had to be making uh, a certain amount of money or I had to be on a certain professional career track and stuff like that. And I just realized that I had to do what I wanted to do. And then when I actually took that leap, it was a lot less scary than I than I thought. And, you know, when you actually put it out there you want to do something, And I realized, okay, I do probably know a few people who know some people that can help me. Um, and then when I actually started, you know, I, I just – it, I just got bitten by this bug that was just like, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't think about doing anything else. And to this day, when, you know, people say, when we sit around, you sit around and talk to friends or whatever, and they say, well, if you didn't do this, what would you be doing? I mean, I have ideas of what I might've been doing if if I wasn't in an business, but I really can't picture myself doing anything else, even today, you know? And that's, that's, I love that idea that I love waking up in the morning and doing what I do and I love, working crazy hours and i love traveling and i love meeting new people and i love everybody you know that all the creative people in this business that i get to work with and it's just like it's just uh it's just amazing that i have that i've been able to to follow this path you know good good times and bad
0: times right and and i think that's really what it comes down to because so many actors and filmmakers and and writers and producers want to be aspiring producers and writers they can they can see themselves Living that lifestyle, doing that, but it's such a hard road for most people that unless you can't see yourself doing anything, I mean, if you could only see yourself doing that, that's the way to do it, and that's what you would mention. You would say you couldn't see yourself doing anything else, and I think that's the key because if you can see yourself doing something else, you probably should because it's it's a very tough road, um, and I think that's sort of that linchpin there. People, I could see myself being a successful you know, producer, I can see myself. Well, of course you can. But if you can see yourself doing something else, I think that's a quote from, I want to say, uh, Bruckheimer or Jerry, or Don Simpson or something, you know, one of those big producers uh, that said, if you can see yourself doing something else, you should do it because the road is too hard. And I, I think yeah. that's very true. And I think, again, by you saying, you couldn't see yourself doing anything else. That's the reason. I, mean, I can,
1: so- you, can, you can, I think you can always picture yourself doing something else or you can always picture yourself doing it but the question is if, if in that in that second choice scenario you're kind of depressed
0: right you're not happy <laughs> about
1: it of, you're not even happy in your second choice dream right. scenario then then yeah i mean i mean and, or if you if you look at and also you listen it's like you know in in the grand scheme this is the grand screen in the grand grand scheme of history mm-hmm. you think about all the great the people that that you know the whatever the the einsteins of this world or the michelangelos or the people that actually you know that that are going to be dots on the timeline of history, mm-hmm. and I, I don't believe yes maybe they struggled maybe they had different things I think that probably for for true greatness and which I don't have but for true greatness you know um, I don't think you even think about it mm-hmm. I, I don't even think you think uh, you know I think from for most of us we do but I'm saying for true greatness I think you just are on a path right and you're just going from A to B and that's that's there's no there is no other second choice or no other second, you know, it's like, I just, they find their, their, their groove and they're just in it. Right, or even right. like somebody like a, a, a jobs, you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't, I think that, you know, he, you know, regardless, I'm sure there were multiple directions he could have gone and he probably thought, okay, I can be doing this, but there was, there were all sort of on the same path to achieving what he ultimately ended up doing, you know? So, um, but you know, with that said, I think that should always be inspiration for people when they're pursuing their dreams is to always go for the thing that, that they can see, Fulfilling their days and their weeks and their years, because, um, and I, I don't mean to get sort of heavy on you here, but it's like you know, life is really—it really is a short experience, and we all kind of won the life lottery in terms of, you know, being alive and being able to, to to live our lives and to be able to pursue our dreams. So you know, it's like you you really just have to to go for it, even if it's, you know, a terrifying thought in the back of your mind, because once you actually take that leap and you go for it, it's far less worse than you could ever imagine you know when it when you know when you're not
0: doing it yeah no that's uh that's good advice life advice really not even screenwriting filmmaking advice but take it away from the heavy stuff and take it to uh (laughs) i'm
1: sorry i mean i didn't need to go there no no uh, it's just that somebody uh somebody i i know recently uh passed sort of unexpectedly so it's just kind of like it always those kind of things just kind of like you know kind of like just
0: rattle your your cage a little bit you know right it definitely brings it all back to uh to earth yeah i'm sorry to hear that well um talking about your life and your uh yeah goings on because you've had such great success now i wanted to talk about epic pictures um i know sure. Epic you guys started doing when you first started the company you were doing um a lot of genre pictures but yeah. you sort of you've broadened the slate and you done a wide range of stuff like you know the patrol which is a war film uh family films like the tiger's tale louder than words that the the uh, david Duchovny, timothy hutton uh drama and i know you yeah. you've got mall coming out from director joe Hahn, you know of lincoln park fame uh peter Stormare and vincent d'onofrio um and then I, I just read recently that uh you've got a film coming out called Ent- entertainment the comedy yeah. um uh, with michael Sarah and, and uh john c Riley, uh Co-produced by Jack Black. So, what is Epic Pictures in a nutshell these days? What's your mandate? It seems like you've gone from instead of going from Miramax to Dimension, you're going the other direction. You're going from Dimension to Miramax. So, uh, what, what's, yeah, what's exactly. your mandate there?
1: Yeah, it, it actually it's, that's that's awesome you say that because that internally that's uh, it's a conversation that we have um, about where we want to take the company. But ultimately, you know, as my, my partner Shaked would say, you know, to a large extent. Um, we want to make movies that we would want to see and we would be honored to take our parents to go see you know Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's ultimately it's it's you know it's it's there are so many films and tv shows being made like it's becoming virtually impossible to you know uh you know you're there's so much white noise out there that ultimately the question is you know if you're going to spend 12 months of your life or 18 months of your life um, don't you want to be making stuff that, you know, either you would want to see or you would, you know, the people that you love want to see and that you'd be proud of and things like that. So we're trying to now, obviously it doesn't happen all the time. Um, but, you know, ultimately our, our, mandate is to make movies that, you know, we, we would like our, you know, we'd like to take our moms to the premiere of you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, and that what that means is basically just films we can be proud of. So it could be a genre film if it's a really interesting genre film. I mean, it could be a comedy if it has, you know, really interesting talent and is really interesting angle. It could be a drama. It could be, um, uh, an action film, you know, I just, I, you know, it could be a family film. And by family, I mean, not with kids, but, you know, fun for the whole family kind of thing. Right. Cause I have two young kids. Um, so we, 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 we're really kind of, we built the company up kind of as being sort of a, sort of the, you know, the, the genre, the the, kind of the genre film company, Um, you know, by doing, we produced Darren Bousman's 1111. And, you know, we did um, big ass Spider, as you know, that Mm -hmm. I think you just mentioned that won the Saturn award. And, um, you know, we were, we launched the VHS uh, franchise internationally and sort of like that, that kind of took off like a rocket ship for us. Um, And those are all things that really we are proud of. And we think we, you know, we think we have a huge, um, but, uh, you know, fans that support the films and things like that. But, um, you know, like with the Michael Sarah, John C. Riley, um, Jack Black movie entertainment, it's a project that we think the filmmakers are, you know, really interesting. Um, they have a really strong vision for what they want to accomplish. They're working with actors that we really respect and think are amazing. Um, so we really wanted to get involved um, with that. We're also doing a film, we're executive producing a film called Turbo Kid that uh, we just shot up in Canada. Jason Eisner and uh, Ann Timpson um, and Anne-Marie Jelinas, uh produced with us, you know, Jason Eisner who did Hobo with a Shotgun, and uh, Ann Timpson who did ABCs of Death. So it's like, you know, that kind of film we thought. We sat down, we had a conversation with them. They really want to do something unique and unusual, and we thought, okay, this is a really fun idea. Um, um, so, you know, and they also, you know, we also look tor- toward films that have a big kind of social media presence and big fan base, and Jason and Anne have big following. Um, and they're known for doing films sort of, sort of push the envelope. Um, so, you know, that was really interesting. Um, we're doing a Halloween theme, which we haven't really announced we're doing a hot, we're about to go into production, a Halloween themed, uh, movie, um, uh, with the filmmaker that we're really excited about. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just stuff that we get really excited about. They're like, okay, I, I you know, I might I might spend 12 bucks to go see that in the theater, you know? So, um, you know, we just have to, you have to just get get excited about it.
0: Now, I know you're probably asked every day, probably every hour of every day, what are you looking for? But that's such a broad question. So I'm going to ask you instead, what are some of your favorite films of all time?
1: Um, well, for sure the film, my go-to film always, when anybody ever asks is Aliens. It's it's Mm -hmm. like, it can be on TV anytime anywhere, any place. I'll watch the commercials. It's on, you know, if it's on a, a basic cable or free TV station. I just, I love aliens. I don't know what it is about that movie, but it's like, I'm a huge Jim Cameron fan mm-hmm.
2: in general. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, and I, you know, um, I love it. Indiana Jones is another film that is kind of, uh, is always a go-to the first, you know, the original Indiana Jones.
0: Right. Raiders. Um,
1: it's always a, is always a go-to for me for an older film around the holidays that always makes me kind of emotional. I don't know why it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. I, I, every year i like, it's like a ritual for me. I, I have to watch it or at least watch part of it every year. And it just kind of, I think for that film, I don't know why, but it just reminds me of home and the holidays and things like that. Um, so that's also a really, really big, big film for me. So, um, you know, um, on a sort of a second tier, uh, another film. I don't, you know, again, when it's always on TV, I always watch it. It's Jaws, I, I I really like it, mm-hmm. and Star Wars too is also is a big inspiration for me as well. So,
0: yeah, I, I've heard of three or four of those films. So that's pretty yeah. Um, so I mean, it's
1: funny. It's like you know, and they're all in their own way. Even it's a Wonderful Life. I think they were all kind of blockbusters. You know, mm-hmm. they were all of their time. You know, yeah. Um, so. You know, and then for films that, that, you know, on the independent side that were inspirational for me, just from a, from a, uh, were sexualized videotape, which I don't even know if anybody, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's such, it's such a long throwback. Um, and Whatever. also Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Do the Right Thing was a really, was a really big uh, film for me. Um, I, I don't know what that was, kind of at the time when independent cinema was kind of blowing up and it was very, you know, it just felt like, cause I was living in, in the East coast at the time. And I just felt like very connected to that. Um, it felt connected to me and it felt like it wasn't like this Hollywood style stuff. So those were films that I found, you know, really inspirational for me in terms of like, I want to doing that stuff. Drugstore Cowboy was another film that I was just like, mm. so, you know, that just is like, I want to be part of that scene, you know? Mm. So those there there's, there's a personal connection to those movies as well.
0: Well, you've got good taste. <laughs> and I, I do think it's interesting that you picked Aliens because there's that sort of most people think Alien is is the go to of, of the two. But I'm like you, I'm a, a, an Aliens guy personally. Um, yeah, I, to me, uh, I like uh, Alien is a great film. It's a thriller, though. Yeah. It, it's it's, it's, a horror, it's a horror film. It's definitely different. Aliens, I think, has has it all. And to me, that's you know what sort of that's what drives me. And I, I, I love that film. So I can, I yeah, I mean, so like if
1: you, yeah, but if you ask me about alien, it probably would be on my top 10 mm-hmm. first with the alien. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me about um, like, uh, you know, and obviously it's, obviously it's the same director is blade runner. That would probably end up in my top 10. Right. But, um, but for me, in terms of what aliens represented, was, it was, it was, it kind of had everything in it. You know, it had great characters it had great action. It was sci-fi. It was suspenseful. It just, you know, and it was just, it felt like I was watching, um, it was the beginning of something, you know, it was a gateway to kind of bigger movies that ultimately sort of opened up this whole pen, you know, this Pandora's box of comic books and video games today. But I, I just felt like aliens was just like a whole new world for me, you know?
0: Yeah. They felt very different tonally and everything, but they're both great films. Yeah.
1: And, but it, and it's funny though, because if you look, If you watch Aliens Today, it's so funny because if you actually sit and watch it and look at the creatures and aliens, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, my God, that is so – some of the shots, you're like, that is so fake. That's obviously, (laughs) you know, a guy in a bodysuit or whatever. And it's like – but at the time, I was just like, what is this movie? This is fucking awesome, this movie, whatever it is, you know? Right. Um, So it just like – for me, that was just – that's my – that is like the top top of my go-to's.
0: Yeah, mean I think you look at Star Wars the same way, and yet we love it. You know, the cantina scene with, you know, guys in paper mache hats no, it's and great. things, you know, but we, we love no, it.
1: Oh, it's, you it's hilarious. You know, it's actually funny. I actually went to, and it, it, I, I really wish I hadn't seen it, but I went to, at one point, they were doing tests to do a, um, to reissue Star Wars in 3D. Mm. So they were, it was going through this, you know, the 3D processing, and, some, and I, I can't remember. I was in a post house, and the guy was like, hey, do you want to see... Um, Star Wars in 3D. And I was like, fuck yeah, I would love to see Star Wars in 3D. And the guy like put it up on the screen. It was like a picture of, I, I can't remember what the scene was, but I know that the Death Star was there
2: mm-hmm. and it was
1: in 3D. And I was like, holy shit, that's a fucking plastic model. It looks horrible. <laughs> and I, and, and was like, yeah, we're kind of having a problem with it doing it in 3D because you really see all the details and it kind of like takes away the fantasy of the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm guessing yeah. as a result, they decided, I think I wasn't probably the only one who said that because I don't remember that. I don't remember that project ever went any further.
0: Right. That's funny. Now, um, I wanted to touch base on our our primary audience is is screenwriters. And you guys do everything from financing, production, distribution, marketing, and, you know, random combinations of all of those uh, for for films. Now, again, screenwriters are our primary audience, screenwriters and indie filmmakers and such. How do you find and select new material, new screenplays? Um, what's your development process like?
1: So we were, I was just having a, partner, a conversation with my partner about this the other day, and we, we were kind of talking about the, the fact that finding screenwriters is the hardest part of the process. Mm-hmm. And it's not about finding good writers. It's not about finding, um, you know, um, the writer in general. It's about finding the right writer for the right project. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that connection between uh, screenwriter and idea and execution is, is, is really sort of the, the holy grail, in my opinion, is sort of like the holy grail of this business is to, to, to get, um, somebody who not only gets the story that you're trying to make, but makes it better, Mm -hmm. you know, and makes the characters that you're like, oh my God, this character is even better than I expected, you know, Mm -hmm. um, And very often it's like, it's just a bad, it's like a bad meal. You know, it's like somebody puts in too much salt and, you know, you don't like your food salty or, you know, um, you know, somebody overcooks something or does something wrong and it's like the whole meal is spoiled. And then you end up spending, you know, a year or two years of your life basically trying to take the salt out of the meal or trying to add, you know, water to something that, you know, uh, becomes mushy or whatever. And it's like you're constantly putting band-aids on something that shouldn't be fixed. So um, to get, to get us. So, you know, and it's very hard to kind of say, okay, this is not working. We have to start over again, stuff like that. So that, that process is, is extraordinarily difficult. So to answer your question about how do you find writers? Um, the answer is that to a large extent, we have to rely on our producing partners to guide us through this process to, to a certain extent. Um, because, you know, if, if a producer comes to us with a project and says, I really want to make this movie, I've optioned this, a uh, book or this article or this video game or this comic book, um, you know, and I need you guys to help me. And this is the writer, you know, who has a, an amazing pitch. Here's a sample. You've got to believe in this. And this, this happened with a producer that actually works in house with us it is she was like, I, I, we had a uh, script on something. She's like, I hate this script, but I can make it amazing. And I have a writer who's very passionate about this material you know, and, um, you know, she gave us a couple of samples. They were really good. Uh, we did a deal and, you know, now we have a script that we're really excited about. So, um, to a large extent, you know, because, uh, it, it takes a lot of time to try to, to try to fit those two pieces together. We have to rely on, uh, produce good producers that we trust to, to, to help put those pieces together.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how much of your business would you say is that sort of, development uh production of new films you know whether it's through an in-house producer or otherwise uh versus like the co-financing of packaged product or projects um or distribution of completed films
1: so i mean i spent a lot of my time what i look for particularly in you know um are, are films that are scripts that are ready to be shot hopefully or at least close to being ready to shot um, where, you know, a piece of the financing or, you know, um, or some sort of soft money or something is in place and we can kind of come in for 30%, 40, 50, 60, 70% of the the budget, you know, Mm -hmm. if if it makes sense. Um, and to kind of just basically uh, put it together from a, from a deal perspective, as long as we like the project, you know? Um, so that's, Become more of our business models to get uh, involved earlier on with production, to get early in, uh, earlier involved with directors, filmmakers, you know, producers, um, and kind of coming in to help put together those missing pieces of the the, the, the financing and production pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first started, we were really mostly just looking at acquisitions. We were doing like you know completed movies and things like that, and we still do that, and we're still looking for acquisitions, and we're still very much interested in. You know, acquiring films, but we also want to want to get involved more earlier on in the process. And we also think, from a marketing and PR perspective, the earlier you bring a company like ours into the process, um, the better it is for the production. You can actually kind of, um, you know, sort of say, okay, the plan is to release this film 18 months from when we start. So let's work backwards. Let's kind of go through a step-by-step roadmap of how we can. You know, put the pieces together, not just about making this film, but also figure out how are we going to market this? How are we going to promote this? You know, how are we going to build awareness of this movie? Um, and, you know, the problem in today's world, you know, as I was talking about like white noise, it's like there's so much stuff that's just like coming to market and you don't really know what it is. And you know, a little bit about it and stuff like that. So the more lead time you have with something, the, the, the better. So we like to get more involved on the production side of things. And I wouldn't say that we're like a development heavy company. We do. Hire screenwriters, and we do we do do that. Um, but you know, I my preference would be really for the producers to do a lot of that, and then for us to come on board at sort of closer when this, the script is ready to go. Um, so maybe 20% of our business is actually development; 80% is more production.
0: And what budget range of film are you guys looking at producing these days?
1: We do everything. Um, and somebody says like you know like uh, is there a certain minimum budget range? The Answers: There's no minimum budget range, but everything has to have theatrical potential. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's, um, you know, if it's a million dollar film, I don't have a problem with it because you can have insidious, you mm-hmm. know, but, yeah. you know, um, but, you know, the idea is not to make a million dollar film and to say, okay, well, let's make this a straight to video movie. Um, yeah. That's not the goal. So, um, so we worked everywhere from a million dollars and our biggest budget um, they are working on is, an a- is a kid's animated movie, which is like a $25 million animated film. So that's, a lot bigger than most of our films. Most of our films kind of fall into the, I would say, the 5 to kind of $15 million range.
0: Okay. It's a good size budget. Um, yeah. I mean,
1: the idea is to do it for a price, but to also kind of have enough money to make it a theatrical film.
0: Sure. Absolutely. We've got a lot of newer screenwriters that have never been in a pitch meeting before. Can you, maybe from your side, can you maybe detail what goes on in a pitch meeting uh, and specifically what, as, you know, the executive or the producer... Uh, what your expectations are.
1: Yes, I can tell you exactly what it is. Awesome. Is that I, I would highly recommend this and I was just like, I, and, and um, the one thing, um, and I, I know it's it's not fair, but it's like when, when a writer comes in and says, oh, I'm really bad at pitching. To me, that's like, if you can't get into a room and you can't pitch a story and you can't engage somebody, you know, sort of in, you know, three, three to five minutes with what it is that you want to do, you know, unless you're, you know, a writer that's had 10 films produced, and everybody knows you're amazing, and you can just come in and say, Here's the story, and you know, take it or leave it. But if you're starting off, you really have to hone your pitch skills. And, you know, for me, the things that, that kind of trigger me in terms of what gets me excited about a story is, is and this is the, the pitfall that I find that so many writers fall into, is they pitch the plot of the movie mm-hmm. and um, kind of let the subplot fall by the wayside a little bit. You know the emotional, the character stuff. Like, right. why are we really interested in this movie? And um, you know, so so the, the the best pitches that I've heard always start with a great kind of like, here's the backstory, here's what inspired the story, here's where this comes from, kind of thing. So you kind of create the universe, then you start with the characters, and the story itself, the plot itself, kind of uh, opens up whatever like a like a like a flower after that, sort of organically. Um, and it's almost like secondary to who these characters are and, you know, this the, 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 the backstory of the universe that's been created leading up to it. Um, and that for me is like, uh, that's, that's all I can tell you is that if you, if you, you know, and it's maybe it's a really generic answer, but if you have a great character and you have a great kind of relationship at the core of the story, mm-hmm. that's generally, that's, you're 99% ahead of everybody else, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do think that a lot of writers newer writers tend to focus more on plot and character The characters are the reason you're watching the story really if you don't uh, relate to the characters if you don't feel empathy for the characters then no matter how amazing the story it's going to be hard to get into it so yeah and so
1: like for example yeah so for example like the guys um justin and aaron the guys who co-directed this film it's just it was an indie film um called resolution and it was sort of perceived as i guess it was perceived as kind of like it's not really a horror film but it was kind of Kind of positioned as a horror film, and uh, you know they, they, they directed an episode of VH's Viral. So we were meeting with all, you know, not all the directors, but some of the, you know, we we're just kind of doing a meet and greet with the directors yesterday, and um, we we're talking about resolution. And they're like, well, you know, the movies we don't really see the movies a horror movie. It's essentially a story about you know two guys who are best friends, and one guy he's trying to basically save his friend from kind of falling into this abyss. And I was like, okay, then you know, you know, even if I don't, even if I'm don't like horror films, I'd be like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, not, not not that that's like the most original thing you've ever heard, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not like you're, it's not like you're sitting around saying, oh, it's about a guy who's having psychotic delusions and you don't know if it's real or not. And this guy shows up and tries to help him. You know, it's like, okay, it's a story about two friends and about a guy who basically is willing to kind of sacrifice, you know, his, his own life to help his friend kind of thing. And I'm like, so that, that, drew me into that and i was like okay that's that's starting to become interesting what what happens next and so if if you can get an executive to start saying oh start asking questions or say oh what happens next or who are these guys you know why does this why do these guys know each other um that's those are the critical elements so like when you know for example like you talk about genre films or horror films or whatever for me it's like the most interesting horror films like for big ass spider Mm Big Ass spider it happened to have a giant spider in it and i'm Regardless, I mean, people may say it, they hated the movie, they loved it or whatever. But the reason why I like the movie is at the core of the piece, it's a story about two guys who, becoming, who become best friends in, in this, this, this this kind of this crazy scenario. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a buddy comedy with a, with a giant spider.
0: Right. I mean, and, you know, using uh, Lethal Weapon as an example, um, I saw all the Lethal Weapon movies and I know that they catch drug dealers in one or, you know, there's the Krugerand something in one of them. But I yeah. couldn't tell you the necessarily the plot of each and every one. I kind of know what happens vaguely, but I could. But yet I remember the relationship between Murtaugh and Riggs, between, yeah. uh, you know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. That's what you remember. Those moments, that, yeah. that, that relationship, not necessarily because, I mean, two cops going after a drug dealer. I mean, how often do you see that? But yet those right. two guys together, that's what makes that series work.
1: Right. And so I'm sure you know, if, you know, the writers out there are thinking, well, how do I pitch or whatever? First of all, there's probably a thousand videos on YouTube about, you know, how do you pitch a story, but you know, you should, you should pick your five favorite films and you should actually try to pitch that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, why is that, that? That movie stays with you, you know, is, right. it, is it because of the crew and because of the South African bad guys, or is it because you have a suicidal cop and, a, and another cop who's, you know, a, you know, a few days from retirement and he's right. getting too old for the shit, Right. you know? You know, what 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 is it that you really remember from these movies that, that, that makes them work for you, you know, right. um, and ultimately also at the end of the day, if you can't really explain a movie in one or two sentences, then, you know, I, the, the problem is, is, that, you know, it's like attention spans are short and getting shorter. So, um, you know, you really have to you really have to kind of get to the heart of what your, your story is about. And it's like, you know, we meet with these network executives all the time. They're like, we want original stories. We want fresh stuff. And it's like, I'm not trying to poo-poo anything because I fall into the same category. I want original ideas. I want fresh stuff. But you still want the stuff. You want your, you know, you want your cream of wheat in the morning, too. You know, you want something that's familiar, you know. So, but, you know, what, what they're really trying to say is we want characters um, that are interesting, that are different, but we, you know, we still want to make it a, you know, a procedural story. We still want to have it take place in a hospital. But, you know, but we want a doctor like House or, you know, so it's like it, it always goes back to
0: character. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're touching base on, on your you wanting something that's familiar but yet unique at the same time. Um, people, it, it's, it's sort of a hard concept to grasp or explain. But one of the examples I throw out is uh, Cole Haddon or Hayden. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's the uh, creator and executive producer of Dracula on NBC. Um, He recently sold a series called, I think it was called Nottingham, and basically it's about Robin Hood. And of course, Robin Hood, something very familiar, something everybody knows, but his take on it, which again brings in that unique angle, was that Robin Hood and the sheriff of Nottingham are the same person, meaning he's he's the sheriff of Nottingham and he's doing all these bad things, but to sort of make up for it, he puts on a... A hood and robs the rich to give to the poor. So he basically is playing both sides. To me, that's an interesting concept, and that's the reason Robin Hood never gets caught and this and that. And so, you know, again, taking something that's very familiar but putting a unique spin on it. So to me, I think that's that's exactly kind of what definition of that you know familiar but unique original material, but something in their wheelhouse. I think that's kind of what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, but again, you know, we're saying the same thing because at the end of the day, you're talking about. Your main, the main character of your piece. Oh, sure. So the whole story, the whole world, so again, it's it's exactly what I was saying. It's a world that you know, so you mm-hmm. can easily set it up, you can create, you can create the, to- the tone, the time, the, you know, the 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 wardrobe, the pacing, you, you everything's set up. So, you know, you say Robin Hood, I think everybody's mind goes to, Robin, you know, that world very quickly. And then you go into the main character who is, you know, who is leading this dual life. And it's just like everything else kind of kind of falls into
0: place after that you know mm-hmm. yeah but i wanted to talk to you a little bit more about uh foreign sales and i've read various figures and in, in different publications that i mean foreign sales now accounts for something like 60 to 70 percent of all film revenue um and being yeah. sort of an expert um I mean, can you talk a little bit about the international sales market and that sort of how that affects financing and distribution of films today and you know the genres of material because you know for example like a horror film is probably easy, easier to translate around the world than like a comedy, which comedy, you know, humor is difficult to translate, not the language of it, but you know, the actual, what is funny in France may not be fun in the U S and vice versa.
1: Yeah. So everything that we do, we have to have an eye toward the international. Yes, you're correct. Is that, um, on the theatrical side, at least, you know, 60 to 70% of the revenue comes from, um, comes from, from come from international now. As you, I think as you'll see, as films are being released. You know the the worldwide release strategy of films has completely shifted now towards putting in a much greater weight on the international as well, um, and doing day and date release in multiple territories, or even releasing in ter- other territories before the U.S. Now, which was like that's you know a whole new game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So so on the international independent side, theatrical films are still a critical component. You know so you so if you have a film that's perceived as a theatrical film and you're selling it internationally you can still do well with it what's what's happened is on the us side i think the sort of the digital vod market has is 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 becoming much more mature in most of the rest of the world that is not quite at the same level as it is in in the us and dvd is basically in most countries except for places like germany to a much lesser extent the uk and france things like that most of the world, you know, um, there's no, there's really DVD is basically non-existent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the problem is is if you don't have a film that's perceived as theatrical or something special or something for television, it's, you don't really have the same opportunities for independent films as you did, you know, even five years ago, Uh, where there still was a DVD market, you know, there still were opportunities for, 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 for films in, in that space. So it's, that's why, You know, when you're when we're trying to make movies, uh, you know, and it doesn't always happen, you know, but when we're trying to make movies, we at least we we hope to have some kind of theatrical shot with them. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And that that has to be part of the overall uh, strategy of, of filmmaking, you know, going forward as well Is that in 2015, everything that we're looking at right now from a production standpoint, we think, okay. um, you know, either this is going to be a theatrical film or we have a really good shot of selling this as a, as a strong television movie in the worst case scenario, because we, can, we can't really count on our DVD and BOD numbers to support um, a return to on investment uh, at this point, at least on the international side. On the U.S. side, um, we're seeing really good numbers. It seems to be a very healthy market if we can kind of promote it properly. And even DVD is still around, and I think people say, oh, it's DVD's dead, but there's actually a lot of revenue still to be made on DVD, and it's still probably around, um, excluding theatrical, it's still probably around 50 to 55% of the revenue of what a film generates, you know, mm-hmm. as long as you don't have a massive number of returns, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, you know, obviously, if you can do a deal with Netflix and get a big chunk of change, or you can do some great numbers. I mean, iTunes, um, I think people kind of talk about it as just, it's the great savior. If you actually saw the numbers from iTunes, it's 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 healthy, but it's not going to, you know, save your film. So you really have to kind of fire on all cylinders on the U.S. side and all those different platforms and, you know, making sure that you're, you know, on Time Warner Cable or you're on Charter or you're on all the all the VOD, DirecTV and Dish and all those AT&T and, and Verizon, make sure you're on there and that you make sure that people are aware of how to find your movies as well. So, you know, from our perspective, there's a lot more heavy lifting involved in terms of creating awareness, making sure that we're getting films um, placed in the right right uh, platforms, making sure that people are aware of movies on the U.S. side. And from a sales perspective on the international side, it's really about finding films that we can position as theatrical films.
0: Right. Going back to, to, to genre pictures, because I know that's how uh, Epic started um, and Epic. I mean, excuse me, genre pictures sort of seemed to have its heyday in, you know, in the days of like the blockbuster videos and basic cable and, you know, Cinemax late night. But now they've seemed to there's this huge revival, at least from from my perspective, you know, with the VOD market, like sci fi network and all these types of things. Um, but being in the trenches of the film sales world, uh, what do you see for the future of movies in terms of like financing and distribution?
1: It's good news and bad news. I mean, the the, the bad news is that um, distributors are becoming far more selective as to what they want. And and instead of, you know, maybe picking up 10 movies or 20 movies or 50 movies a year, they're picking up five movies, you know. But the good news is if you have a good movie
2: mm-hmm.
1: and people want to see it, there's still a market for it. You just have to make good movies. And I know that's kind of like, well, kind of, again, making. I'm not trying to make a generic statement, but you know the problem is is that there's this massive it's become less and less expensive to make movies so there's a lot more content out there but there's a lot more content i don't I think is not really finding the right home and um, you know but I, there are um, fans for every space of movie making so you just have to make sure that if you're making something that it kind of it's the cream of the crop and not you know not the sour part of the milk you know Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it's, and again, it's like a big part of our strategy as a company is social media. What we try to do is we try to work with filmmakers that, um, are proactive in their, in their ability to promote and, uh, you know, with actors that are active in their ability to promote, um, you know, again, I mean, I just, we use big ass writers as an example, you know, Greg Grunberg and Claire Kramer were really active on social media, Mike Mendez, the director really active on social media. So all that stuff helped to create awareness for the film and kind of help break through the clutter and get people to kind of be aware of it and talk about the film. So, um, you know, that's a really, really critical component as well Is you have to look for different elements as well. I mean, in some ways, you know, you know, somebody who has, you know, 5 million Twitter followers or something that's active on Twitter is more excited than, you know, somebody who has, you know, a ranking, you know, between 500 and 1,000 on IMDb. Right. So we, you have to kind of look for different opportunities and you have to look for ways of how are you going to get your film recognized? How are you going to get people talking about it on, um, we have another film called zombievers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, which, you know, we had to come up with, we came up with a really creative campaign. I think we came up with a really great trailer for the film. I mean, it's gotten almost 3 million hits on YouTube and, we actually just before the Academy Awards, um, when we launched the film in Berlin in February, um, you know, we did a whole like for your consideration Academy War Camp spoof campaign, you know, okay. uh-huh. where we basically put the zombie beaver in an astronaut suit and you know did a gravity style poster. We did an American Hustle poster, uh, we did a Wolf of Wall Street poster, we did a Her poster, you know, with all with a zombie beaver on them, and that got people talking about it. Or when Ellen's Generous did that selfie with everybody, we actually. You know, immediately put the beaver in it and release a selfie with the beaver and all the actors in it. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like you just have to kind of like you just have to kind of do stuff that's fun that gets people kind of engaged and get gets people I, I, to, converted to support your film because you know it's 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 the the internet is filled with people who want to see negative things, but you know the work is trying to get people to say positive things and. That's a big part of what we do as a company is we just try to keep people engaged and and, and fans of our films, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Obviously, Big Ass Spider, you know, winning Saturn Award and uh, being nominated for the Audience Award uh, at South by Southwest is in a sort of similar genre but different category than a film like Sharknado, which I saw at least I saw half of it, which is what I could get through. Yeah. Um, but, but what do you attribute to the success of something like a Sharknado? Is it mostly that social networking, you think, that 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 word of mouth? Um, because obviously, I think they're, they're gearing up for the third one already. Yeah. What's so, yeah, I mean,
1: uh, the bottom line is, is, you know, when you get people like, you know, Kim Kardashian tweeting about it, mm-hmm. that's, you know, what sets the, the, the you know, the, the social social media world on fire. It's It's, you know, getting celebrity support um and then basically i think for sharknado i think it was never about the film itself Mm -hmm. it was always about let's have a beer and you know or whatever let's have a let's have a drinking party and watch the you know sharknado and how silly it is and all that stuff so but uh, and, and i get it and kudos to sharknado for like you know kind of creating that phenomenon at least on the first one i don't know how i think they just released the second one i don't think it had quite the same level but you know, so, but that's not about the movie. And that's my only, that's my only issue is, is Mm -hmm. that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, five years from now, are people going to be like, Oh, let's go watch Sharknado or not, you know? So, but for me, um, it makes a big difference to me if people actually like the film, you know? And so even today, you know, whatever six months or so after the release of Big Ass Spider, people are still reaching out to us. And, and, and again, I'm not saying that it's going to, um, you know, go down in history is the greatest film of all time. But at least at the end of the day, I can look at big ass fighter from my perspective and say, okay, I'm, I'm proud of that movie because it, it actually worked for what it is and it's fun and it keeps me engaged. And you know, when my three and a half year old daughter, I know she's trying to support her dad, but you know, I ask her what her favorite movie is. And she says, big ass fighter. It's like, it mm-hmm. brings this smile to my face. <laughs>
0: it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about, you know, the best film ever made, but you know what, ultimately if movies can make you feel something um, other than boredom, if, if they make you feel something, if you're entertained, and that's really what it's about for me.
1: I mean, but I'll say the greatest the greatest threat to films today, in my opinion, is, is and I'm sure, the, you know, it's not, I mean, yes, piracy is a huge problem. I know there's, there's a study that said that, um, uh, what was the film that just came out, that it was affected oh, like 20% the... of the box office.
2: Oh, no, Expedibles.
1: no. Yeah, 20, 20, yeah, it was expendables. It was okay. like 15 to 20% of the box office revenue was, taken away as a result of piracy. And, and I believe that. Um, and I think piracy uh, is a huge problem and I don't think it should be called piracy. First of all, I think it should be called like, you know, um, something not so fun because I think when you think of piracy, you think of, it seems like, you know, you've got a parrot and an eye patch and you're, you're going on an adventure. Right. But, um, I think it should be called some kind something criminal, you know, um, right. because I don't think people really take it seriously. That said, I'm not going to go off on piracy right now, but, um, I think the greatest threat right now to films, and I, I don't mean it. This not meant as a negative thing, because it's really cool what they're doing. But television right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in TV series and what they're doing right now on television, um, you know, from The True Detectives of this world to Breaking Bad to, you know, Walking Dead, um, I, I really think that when people are sitting down to watch entertainment now, they're very often not going to films. They're going to they're going to TV, and um, you know that's kind of creating a bit of that's carving out what, you know, never really, I don't think was ever a competition before. And, you know, when you have the, that kind of muscle and that money to, to make a really brilliant TV show um, and you can get people to spend, you know, uh, 10 hours or 20 hours or even five hours watching it, that's taking critical time away from their movie going. And it, it, it puts less eyeballs um, on films, you know? So, you know, um, that's definitely been a disruptive um, element over the past, you know, uh, three or four years, right? Good or bad? I'm not
0: sure. Right. And plus, I mean, whether it's changing of habits, I mean, there'll always be movie goers because it's an event. You know, it's just—is it the shifting of the paradigm to where TV viewing is much more of your entertainment time on a regular basis, or if it's just again, there's so much great TV out there that uh, you know? Because to me, it feels like the golden age of television. There's so much amazing television, whether it's like you said. Detective or Game of Thrones or War Empire. Game of Thrones, yeah. yeah, I mean you can just go on and on and on. All the great TV series. I don't even have time to watch all of it. You know, there's so you much don't. yeah on my D V R that I need to watch.
1: I know. It's just a massive amount of like really fucking awesome TV that yeah. you're just like you know, and when I sit down and watch, you know, if I, you know, the, the rare time when I'm able to actually find a couple hours to sit down with my wife and, and say, Okay, like well, let's let's watch something. And then we look for movies and we're like, oh, there's nothing really there. And they're like, you know what, let's watch, let's watch some of the episodes of game of Thrones that we haven't, you know, we need to get caught up on or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, if we're doing it, I can, you can, I can guarantee you that everybody else is doing it as well. And so, um, you know, so it's, it's just, it's just, a, it's just about making sure that you have something at, at the end of the day, it's just making sure you have something that people will want to go out of their way to either watch whether, even if it's, uh, you know, on their VOD platforms or it's on Netflix or, You know, it's on iTunes or Amazon, instant or whatever, wherever it is, they have to, you have to, people have to be willing to seek it out. And that's, you have to, that's what you have to create in people's minds.
0: Right. Absolutely. We're running a little short on time. I don't want to keep you too long. We've got a section called rapid fire. Just a few quick questions. So if you're ready, let's do it. You attended the prestigious New York City prep school, the Dalton school. If you were to compete on the, the amazing race, you know, the reality show, which fellow Dalton school alum would you choose as a partner and why? Actor-comedian Chevy Chase, CNN newsman Anderson Cooper, or the Bizarre Foods guy Andrew Zimmern?
1: Um, I That's very easy. I, I went to school with Anderson, so um, he was always a smart guy and a ton of fun to hang out with, so uh, hands down, Anderson
0: Cooper. Awesome. I put in the Bizarre Foods guy Andrew Zimmern because they do make everyone eat really gross things all the time, and I thought, well, maybe you could fill that role if you didn't want to eat, you know, bull testicles or whatever they they're – bugs they're feeding people that day now you graduated from duke university so yeah. who would make the best subject of a feature film big band legend duke ellington video game action hero duke nukem or the duke himself john wayne uh duke nukem okay which would you least like to be trapped in a warehouse with and why a killer mermaid zombie beavers or a big ass spider
1: In a, in a warehouse yeah I think, uh, okay, so let's go through that. So, a killer mermaid, well, that's, that's actually, let's just actually go through the physical impossibility scenario, <laughs> which is uh, a, a big ass spider in a warehouse, I think, would, be, it would not be able to move around very well. And I could, I could actually use its size to its disadvantage. Mm,
2: I see. So, I'm going
1: to put that down on the list. A killer mermaid, it's a warehouse. Unless it's filled with water, that mermaid's pretty screwed.
0: Right.
1: A beaver, a zombie beaver, I, I think I could, I could, I could outrun it. I think I could outrun a zombie bird, and they're much better in the water too. You know what? Who, who would I want to be in there, or who I would not want to be in there? Who with?
0: would you least like to be trapped in their warehouse with?
1: I guess I'm since you know I'm gonna have to go with a big ass spider because big ass that big ass spider spits acid. It's pretty it's pretty nasty. <laughs> um,
0: and finally, as a New Yorker living in Los Angeles, which hot dog is the most epic? Gray's papaya, Kriff dogs, Pink's, or Carney? Uh,
1: well I know that. Do I have to pick one of
0: those? Um, no, if you want to go off the beaten. Well, actually,
1: path. Right, I'm sorry. Actually, go, go, do it again. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Um, and do it again. Gray's Papaya, Chris yeah. Dogs. I don't Pink. know what Chris Dog is. Chris Dog, it's the a place in New York. It's really really good. Pink's, Dog. which obviously everyone yeah. knows. Pink's or Carney's, you know, on Sunset. I
1: gotta go. I think I gotta go with Carney's. It's just, uh, I, I just, uh, I, it's a go-to place for for a lot of my, my a lot of my buddies. They just like to go there. Sort of, uh, it's it's kind of brings them back because the guy, guys that grew up in LA love to go to Carney. So yeah. I'm going to go with Carney's on that one.
0: Awesome. Um, and do you have any last thoughts or advice for screenwriters out there? Uh, just again,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to fall back on the obvious, which is really critical advice, which is
0: uh, everybody
1: all day long, every executive in town, you know, including myself, we're, we're all programmed to tell you to, 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 to go after, you know, it's like a school of fish to go after whatever's working, last or whatever but by the time you know you are working on the thing that's been working for the past six months by the time you're finished with your script they're all going to everybody's going to be moving on to another thing so at the end of the day you have to do what you want to do you know and you have to write stuff that you're familiar you know not familiar with but comfortable with you have to write characters that you'd want to see yourself and don't ever let people tell you you know that you can't um, do anything that you don't, that you believe in, you know, because at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, it's like, if you're not following your heart and you're not following what you think is going to be entertaining to at least you. Um, then you're never going to really, you know, be able to, to get to the place you want to go. And I think that if you look at the people that are most successful in this business, as far as screenwriters and stuff like that, they, they, they all write the things that are, that they're most passionate about. And yes, at the end of the day, maybe they're hired to do a lot of other things, but you you always got to follow your heart in this
0: business. It's it's a critical thing. Um, Great catching up with you, Patrick. Thanks for coming on the show. Be sure to visit Patrick's website, epic-pictures.com. And uh, you can follow them on Twitter at epic underscore pictures. And be sure to follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick Ewald. Um, that's B W A L D. Patrick is just Patrick. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at com, or send us a tweet at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there. Just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.